0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Workers' Mike, right here on Seven Twenty WGN. My name is Ken Edwards from the Midwest Coalition of Labor. Sitting next to me is Ed Maher from the International Union of Operating Engineers Local One Hundred and Fifty. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Ken. Well said. Good to see you. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a lot of words. It's a long one for early in the morning. Yeah. How about it? Yeah. Hey, we uh, we're continuing this week with our our theme of. You know, obviously, advancing workers' rights, but it, uh, real live ways to make it happen. Um, we're really psyched to have uh, a guest today. Um, his name is Dale Pearson. He is a extremely, extremely um, smart. Popular, progressive, push the envelope lawyer uh, that works for Local One Hundred and Fifty. I've worked with him for a, a really, really long time. Respect the hell out of him. Just a, a super cool guy, um, and also has a bunch of good
1: stories. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and one of these guys who had, throughout his career has looked for opportunities to help workers that are struggling, you know, against employers who have the deck stacked against them and, and things like that. So I think in the in the vein of conversation we were having last week about finding creative solutions to even the playing field between small groups of Workers without a lot of resources and companies that are wealthy and you know well equipped. Um, Dale is going to have some interesting thoughts, and uh, yeah, yeah I, I think you know having attorneys in who are able to talk about this stuff in just very plain language and make it easy, under, easy to understand is. Is important. So along with Dale, I think mean, next week we're going to have uh, uh, yeah. Travis.
0: Travis Ketterman, um, yeah, uh, also uh, does some work for Local 150's fund, but pr- you know, primarily with the carpenters actually. So right. You know, he's going to continue the conversation. Travis is also one of the people that founded the MCL idea with with me and helped me get this off the ground. So we're psyched to have him as well. And you know, look for the folks that are listening that are thinking about joining unions or have their nascent unions or the Starbucks workers or whatever. We're, we're trying to give you guys like direct, concrete advice as to what to do and how to do it and we're also talking to established unions and the labor movement in general as to like hey everybody like we talked about last week do better like let's let's pass some legislation right, right? we we got a friendly you know uh we got a friendly situation here in Illinois at the moment
1: right right absolutely and the, um, the national labor relations board is Prime to uh, to help workers. Yeah, they got the- a little bit of money, right? For sure, they did. And uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the show, too, some of the, the things that they're looking to change to just make it a little bit easier, a little bit less onerous for workers to get to that first contract.
0: Yeah, which, by the way, you know, the the laws are stacked. I mean, stacked against workers right period of the end They're just it is what it is everybody's like oh yeah what do you need unions for you got all these great laws to protect you no you don't
1: right i mean we're, we're talking about helping them get organizers and helping them get lawyers and i mean it's a few steps down the road until they can get lobbyists <laughs> yeah that's and uh, that's where those changes have been made over the years i think that's right um
0: and also just in in a in a, a quick uh change we got our rankings recently for the nielsen ratings for radio yeah, that's right what's it called ranker
1: Uh, yeah, I think so. Something like that. I don't know. How do do we get one of those boxes? (laughs) I don't know, but we're going to have to do it because right now... We're number two. We are the number two AM radio show on Sunday mornings. Between eight and nine. But once we get one of those boxes, we're going to make it to number one.
0: I'm not above cheating, by the way, to achieve my goals. I know that. Everybody, Everybody knows that. And by the way, that's that snippet will be used against me when I run for office. For sure. Ken Edwards. Not you know. above cheating to achieve his goals. Yeah. It is what it is. Whatever.
1: So, right. listen. Well, let's get Dale in here. All right.
0: Let's get Dale in here. You're listening to The Worker's Mic right here on 720 WGN. You're listening to The Worker's Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. Welcome back to 720 WGN. The Worker's Mic. I'm Ken. This is Ed.
1: How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. I mean, over the commercial break, not much has happened, but uh, (laughs) it's still going pretty good, Ken. As we talked about earlier at the top of the show, we are honored, uh, really honored
0: to have with us today, Dale Pearson. Um, Dale is the General Counsel for the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Welcome, Dale. So glad to have you, Dale. A friend and a
1: a mentor, and I, I, I think a lot of you. likewise ed (laughs) oh ouch
0: (laughs) and i've I've known dale longer than that
1: yeah well Uh, it shows it really
0: shows (laughs) super quick background dale um has been 20 years being on staff at local 150 and dale used to work for a law firm um for how many years for a long time Uh, Yes. Actually,
2: I started to work for the firm and for 150 at the same time, which was after Bill Dugan got elected in 1986. Got it. How long have you been a lawyer? Uh, 43 years. (laughs)
0: I've <laughs> seen a few things. <laughs> and, you still, and you still have your license? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, on. Actually, I'll take that back. 41 years. 41 excuse, years. Excuse me. Okay, fair enough. That's awesome. I'm going to digress for a quick second. This is something that I think that we're going to talk about this year. You know, this is the year of the workers we talked about last time, but we're asking unions to do better. One of the things I think that was unique uh, as to lo- what Local 150 did was it brought its legal staff uh, – it it brought lawyers on staff, Right. Yes, And I was in one of those positions, obviously. I literally took the place of the first lawyer that they had ever hired simply to even up the playing field because the employers in in my world was public sector. They had tax dollars, so they could never – you couldn't shut off the municipality's money. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. And these employers also had pretty deep pockets. And so what Local 150 was doing was paying Dale's former firm a decent amount of money, and the decision was made to bring Dale and company on staff paying them a salary and thereby telling the contractors, like, you're not going to spend us now right. because we have on-staff attorneys. I think that that was a big motivator. Um, when it first came
2: around that the officers of the union approached me to create the legal department, mm-hmm. I said, I don't think you're going to save as much money that you as you think you're going to save, and I don't think you're going to get better service. And I was wrong. On both well, they probably <laughs> promptly tripled your workload. I'm sure. Well, there's that, but the the access, the fact that we were like basically across down the, the parking lot, down the hall that that was one of the things that um, they enjoyed the most. And when Bill Dugan retired, he said it was one of the best decisions he ever made to bring us in house. So I was pretty uh, complimented at that. And after the first year on the other score. Um, they saved about a million dollars. That's amazing. It, it was truly amazing. I mean, they, they obviously
0: are smart guys and know what they're doing. So. <laughs> but have you seen, Dale, have you seen this uh, as a trend in other unions? Because I've certainly, as a, in my travels now with the MCL, I'm watching unions bring on young uh, young attorneys, on staff. I have seen more
2: of it happening. And I, and there's sort of a, a network developing. Mm-hmm. Now, to have a staff as big as ours, I think, is unusual still. Sure. Um, but I think a lot of unions are realizing that to have – one or two people, where when they have an immediate go-to question, it it's it more convenient. Um, plus, it helps to have someone, again, exclusive access, but also you learn that client. We've only got one client. You know, you learn their problems so much more quickly and you've usually solved one problem.
0: You know, oh, we did this two years ago to fix that, so let's do this now. So you have the institutional knowledge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So um, if you're just tuning in, um, you're listening to um, the Worker's Mic right here on 720 WGN. We're talking to Dale Pearson, General Counsel for the uh, Operating Engineers Local 150. Um, We discussed, Dale, last week, um, some concepts that we think that labor should push in, in the year 2023. So Ed and I were talking about um the fact that 2022 saw a giant uptick in union elections right ed what was it like a
1: f- yeah it was a 50% increase over 2021 in elections that were successful but now 2023 leaves a lot of those groups to negotiate their first contract and they're finding out that they are ill equipped in many cases to stand up to a Starbucks of the world or an Amazon that has an army of of seasoned lawyers so um you know we're we're looking for solutions and talking about solutions for these groups of workers that may not have the same resources uh, to try to even the playing field. Well,
2: i will to throw another stat at you, Ed and Ken. Um, through uh, half of 2022, uh, the union um, win rate was 75% in labor board elections, which right. is, you know, it's, it's often been in the 60-65 range. But to be winning 75% is, you know, really, really good. Unfortunately, the number of first contracts right. is much less yeah like zero <laughs> <laughs> well the, the the numbers I came up with in anticipation of today was that in the first year, only thirty six percent of the um, victories result in a first contract. Wow, and then there's there's some stats this is a little older, but they say that only fifty six percent ever get. First contract.
0: Right, because the employers play the old game of delay, wait, litigate, delay, wait, right. litigate, replace people, fire people, union bus, close down. I mean, right. there's just this plethora of games that the employers play, and, you know, Starbucks isn't reinventing the wheel here. We're right. just following the same old playbook, right. Sure. right? Oh yeah. So Ed and I were talking about, you know, a, a couple of things, and one is the fact that you're listening to a lot of labor folks and podcasts and and people bemoan various things, but nobody's ever coming up and saying, "Hey, let's instead of complaining, let's actually do something." Yeah. Right. And so this is the do something part. And so we talked about interest arbitration last uh, last week. Um, and Dale, you're familiar with interest arb? Yes. Okay. In two seconds, what is it? When the parties, employer, management,
2: and labor, the union that represents the employees, cannot themselves come to an agreement, there are uh, provisions often in state law or elsewhere that will allow you to present the contract issues To a neutral arbitrator, and then either by agreement or by statute, as it is in Illinois, the arbitrator can come to a conclusion and basically impose a contract on those parties.
0: Perfect, and that—that's exactly what we talked about, and and that takes away one party's disincent or one party's incentive to you know, surface bargain or not bargain in good faith or delay the process or litigate, et cetera, because there are time frames in this. Correct? Right. And that
2: is, and that's exactly right. And I'll give you the one stat that I just came up with this morning mm-hmm. in Canada, where they have mandatory interest arbitration in the private sector, unlike here in the United States, yeah. 92% of first contracts get signed.
1: Wow. 92. And that's compared to 30 something percent in, in the United right. States. That's
2: right. I mean, ninety-two. So, it, it, and I think it it's works. primarily because of what you just said, Ken. It's a disincentive not to reach agreement on your own.
0: Right. So, let's let's drill down on that. Okay. So, we, and and by the way, for the listeners out there, you know, Google interest arbitration. Uh, you know, you can learn all about it. It, it really, it, it's much like a salary arbitration for a baseball player. Right. Right. Usually, it, you hear about
1: arbitration with baseball players. That's right.
0: Um, and I think we're going to uh, interview an arbitrator at some point as well. Um, but let me, let me ask you this, Dale. Right now, you said earlier that uh, Illinois has it in one of its statutes, and that is the public sector statute, right? Correct. Poli- police and fire in the state of Illinois are not allowed to strike. And in exchange for that, they agreed to interest arbitration. That's right. Okay. Um, recently, over the past, I don't know, 10 years or so, give or take, they changed that statute as well. They modified it to allow non-police and fire, i.e., teachers, uh, public works, you know whatever it is um, to also uh, engage in interest arbitration if you have a first contract of a group of 35 or less. Now I did it for a long time. The threat of that arbitration, was actually more powerful than actually right. going to the arbitration. Did, how, many, how many did you actually have? I had none. I didn't, yeah. not, not a single one, because right. I would like, great,
1: you don't want to agree, we're going to go to arbitration, and lo and behold, you know, uh, we'd meet in the middle. Yeah, right. rather than them wanting to take their chances with an arbitrator and losing their position completely. That's exactly right.
0: That's so a, mm-hmm. so my question to you, Dale, is I have a couple of questions, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, because you know, like like Ed said, you know, you've been doing this a long time, and and Dale's one of those people, by the way, that pushes the envelope. Absolutely, <laughs> you know. And Dale came up with uh, the the quote that I use all the time that I've literally taken to heart. I'm digressing again for a second, which is make them make us stop. Absolutely, And I just, I, I've always found that quote to be really helpful because. It's a mindset. Yeah. And when I'm out on a limb or doing something stupid, <laughs> I just, I just, you know, like I go, like, first of all, like, hey, Dale, I think I broke the law 16 times. <laughs> Don't worry, Ken. What are they going to do? Put you in labor board jail? <laughs> <laughs> Dale would literally say stuff like Dale would tell me, like, Ken, wrap yourself in the flag. You know, it's like, give me all this, like, kind of, you know, boost me up. And uh was a, a big proponent of the things that we were doing testing early, boundaries. early on testing boundaries so i, I appreciate that and i've always meant to tell you that um but let me ask you this what do you think about um if that law was passed in illinois f- for arbitration for first contracts in the private sector would that be preempted by federal labor law
2: that's a tough question to answer because if i say I believe it's likely to be preempted, then somebody's going to use this against me when we try to come up with a statute that says you have to use this in the private sector. So the answer is no. Well, the answer is absolutely no. Oh, hell yeah. Um, You know, of course, as as lawyers, Sweeney's always uh, kidding me about, Oh, it's like one of those two-hands things, right? The lawyers have two hands. Yeah, the lawyers have two hands. On the one hand, is this, on the other, hand is that. (laughs) So under federal labor law, since 1959 at least, a Supreme Court decision then said that if something If a a state regulation is actually, or if the conduct that the state wants to regulate is actually or arguably protected or prohibited by the National Labor Relations Act, then it falls within the exclusive primary jurisdiction of the National Labor Relations Board. So preemption basically comes from the fact that Congress has the authority to regulate interstate commerce. That's where the labor laws come from. So the goal was to get the states out of the regulation of labor unions. Sure. And for the most part, you know, it's been successful. But the, the preemption doctrines are riddled with exceptions. I mean, there's there's all kinds of exceptions. Right to work.
1: Right. Right to, right to work is, is, to
2: is one of the few statutory exceptions. Right. But early on, you know, the the courts were saying, well, look, you know, states always have an interest in protecting their populations from violence. So if there was strike violence, the cops are going to come in and arrest you, sure. and that's not going to be preempted by the labor board. Got it. Uh, state trespass laws, same thing. Um, defamation is another uh, area where, at first. When a company would sue the union for defamation, um, they filed on for labor practice charges. They argued it was preemption. In a Supreme Court case in the 1960s, just two years after the famous New York Times v. Sullivan yep. actual malice decision, they applied that rule to defamation cases. They let defamation cases go in state court, but they changed the standard to have a national standard of actual malice, knowledge of falsity, or Bill, reckless disregard for Bill, the truth. Bill Johnson's? That, no, this one was uh,
0: Lynn v. Plant Guard Workers. Plant Guard Workers, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, so you're saying that, uh, that the answer is, you know, it certainly could be um, an exemption to the preemption rule, right? And given, you know, in, once again, in my humble opinion, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the Biden administration – you know, who, by the way, has been extremely labor-friendly and given us, a, you know, a ton of work. I'm certainly mm-hmm. not knocking them. But they had no problem imposing a contract on the rail workers. Right. Right? Yep. And, you know, so it wasn't even they imposed arbitration. They just imposed a contract. Right. Right? As opposed to saying, hey, you guys go to interest arbitration and whatever the arbitrator comes up with, um, that's what you're going to live with. They just imposed the contract. Right. So you would think that an interest arbitration would be sort of a step backwards a little bit to say, here's an easier way to solve this. Right. Could that happen by executive order?
2: I think that would be one avenue to attempt. And I, I think that there is some legal basis to support it. And in a previous life when I first started practicing I did do some Railway Labor Act work and when like, when like the trains ran on coal <laughs> yeah no, it wasn't quite that long ago was a anyway. push cart with the guys pushing it up and down <laughs> yeah. in a silent movie kind of grainy yeah, no that was me right no so um, the piano soundtrack <laughs> the uh the president has the authority under that statute to do what he did so okay, there's gotcha. there's that aspect of it which is actually pretty important yeah but when you raised this with me um i began to try to think about how would you go about doing it i mean first of all arbitration is the national labor policy i mean the national labor relations act after taft hartley one of the only good things that taft hartley did was add to the um labor laws that governed federal um or uh, that governed uh private sector labor relations was that arbitration is part of the national labor policy. So in addition to that, it created the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service, Uh FMCS, and created all these sort of standards and rules um, whereby you would promote mediation. Now, one of the things that that statute did was include notice requirements so that when a contract is close to expiration, um, when you're 60 days out, no less than 60 days, you're bound to try to um, uh, notify the uh, company, of course, that you're going to negotiate right, a new agreement. Right, but right. you have to tell the FMCS, yes, so they can monitor it, right. right? Right, and and you have to tell any state mediation agency. So the statute actually cr- created a role for. States
0: to play in private sector negotiations. I love it. Negotiations. So, so there's a path here. I, I think, think so. So so, so listen, w- w- this is really interesting, and quite frankly, I think um, it warrants some more discussion. We're going to come back. Do you can stick around two? for a few yeah. minutes, Dale? I'm happy to. Great. Thank you. We, we appreciate it. Um, you're listening to The Worker's Mic right here on 720 WGN. You're listening to The Worker's Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. Welcome back, everyone, to The Worker's Mic right here on 720 WGN. I'm Ken, this is Ed, and Dale. Uh, Dale, We're here with Dale Pearson. If you just tuning in, Dale Pearson, General Counsel for Local 150, the operating engineers we're talking about. Um, interest arbitration, arbitration, how to get to first contracts. Dale, thanks for sticking around. We appreciate it. We were going to do one segment, but I just think that this is interesting and more, you know, there's a little bit more to add here. We've got to tap into this wealth
1: of knowledge while we have it.
0: We don't have smart people in this room very often. <laughs> That's not true. Every single one of our guests. Hey. Is smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but so Dale, let's, let's, let's keep going, right? We were talking about ways to get this done. Um, Give us a couple examples of ways you think that we can get arbitration for first contracts um, to be the law of the land. Well, as we were saying
2: before the break, I think because the federal law does create a role yeah. for state mediation agencies, that might be the the window that we try to crawl through. Sure. Um, you know, there's a downside there because there are specific references in the statute to not being able to impose provisions of an agreement. But I think the idea. And you alluded to this earlier, Ken. By the way, I think you guys are a couple of the smartest people I know. And I I I very much appreciate your comments earlier, Ken. Sure. Um, especially the let's push the edge of the envelope type stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. And I think this is an area where you could do it. You justify Mm -hmm. it first by the fact that federal law does allow for a state role and because the national labor policy is to promote arbitration of, of labor disputes. Yeah. But you said earlier, Ken, it's all about labor speech, labor stability, yep. labor labor peace, Rest labor cards. stability. Right. I mean, those are very, very important goals. The fact that you you know lost uh, um, so much uh, uh, productivity was one of the uh, – worker productivity was one of the basic reasons that the uh, NLRA was passed in the first place. Right. So I think you see that still. You don't want people on the streets. You don't right. want – like Local 150 did last summer, went through a seven-week strike – um, basically 400, 450, 500 guys um, hit the bricks, but thousands of people were out of work because the construction industry kind of grinds to a halt when they can't get um, material uh, limestone, Yeah, right? So, yeah. you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of reasons why uh, promoting mediation, mm-hmm. you know, is both in the federal and in the state interest. And I think that the, the political climate in Illinois is such that Obviously, Local 150's been on a roll since passing the Workers' Rights Amendment. Knock on, uh, knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. You know, and why
1: not keep going? The Illinois I mean, labor movement is strong right now. We're in a position of uh, of strength like we've never seen.
2: I think that's exactly right. And, and, and I think politicians know that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, most of them agree with us, believe in the value of unions in promoting um, uh, the rights of workers and and creating... And, and,
0: and, you know, like we've talked about here, sorry to cut you off, but, you know, unions have a 70-plus percent approval rating right Right. now. If the unions, and I'm talking to you, AFL-CIO, National AFL-CIO, I'm talking directly to you right now, take some of that money and try and pass a bill, right? right? The next way, Dale, would be federally, right? Right. Right? Create An actual statute, because this was, by the way, on the table in in something called the PRO Act, which of Mm -hmm. course never passed, because God forbid they should actually pass anything directly related to workers' rights. But try and pass this one little piece of the PRO Act, which is arbitration for first contracts. Pretty simple, right? 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 Just, I mean, I hate to say it, if you just pass that law, well then that's that's the end of the discussion, right? A federal (laughs) law, right? 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 And. You know, I, I think that I don't see how that could not be bipartisan.
1: And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dale, but federal labor policy in the NLRA was never just to permit collective bargaining; it was always to promote collective that's bargaining. That's right. The so-
2: national- that's right. The, the national labor policy is to promote collective bargaining as a way of achieving labor peace and labor stability. It's also, if you look at the findings and conclusions of Congress, they're in the middle of the Great Depression. It's all about Keynesian economics. They want people to have the ability to buy stuff. Yeah. Purchasing power is a key piece of that puzzle. And people deny it today, but it's still true. What's the stat? 70% of the U.S. economy is based on consumer spending? Right. I mean, if people don't have... Not just living wages. So right. they could buy food. If they right. can't buy flat screens and cars
0: and, you know, take vacations now and then, most of the economy grinds to a halt. Right. So getting it, so getting it, so that's a really good point, right? So getting a first contract would provide, quite frankly, better wages for workers. It's just that simple. Contracts right. provide better wages. I don't care what you say, good, bad, or indifferent about unions. A union contract is going to pay you more than you working as an employee uh, at will with no contract Correct. absolutely and then where do those folks take their money they take their money to the mom and pop store down the block and buy something they take it to the grocery store and yeah. buy something they take it to dinner
1: yeah. you know and support local businesses middle class I mean, people are not socking their money away in Cayman Island bank accounts or buying back stock they're spending money fixing their cars buying new furniture
0: yeah buying uh, you know snowmobiles and motorcycles and, buying coffee at Intelligentsia <laughs> right exactly and F-150s <laughs> Go go to a union meeting and you'll see about a trillion dollars worth of trucks in the parking lot, with trailer hitches, right? With trailer hitches for their boats boat, to uh, your yeah, lake, right? To exactly. your lake house. It's <laughs> the American
1: dream, baby. Absolutely, and God bless them. So Absolutely. I so I think that that.
0: There's this, an absolute justification for passing this because it will, I think, if somebody's smarter out there than me, and I'm talking to you, Aleppi, and some of those groups, would do a study that says what would it, what would the economic result of having uh, arbitration for first contracts be in the United States? It's got to be an upward, you know, trend, oh, yeah. right? I, I think,
2: I, and I've I've got that in my nose too. This is a great mind a leg part of it. You mm-hmm. know, we have Illepi, the Illinois yeah. Economic Policy Institute, yes. and they're always looking for cool studies like that, yeah. there's two here. One would be to do a, a study on interest arbitration in the public sector in Illinois sure. to see what those numbers are comparatively, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but then also, what is the value of a first contract to the um, uh, working people of the state and sure. of the country? Right. I mean, you know, we'll focus on the state, maybe Illinois, Indiana, but... Um, I, I got you know that those numbers were going to be a dramatic indication of what we 're talking about, how valuable, how important it is to work so people. when you get back to
0: the office today, you will uh, demand that that study be
2: uh, i'm going i 'm going to make a suggestion and and i can i i've been invited to go directly to the elepi folks and i 'll mention it to to mark but but they 're always looking for these sorts of things and and it wasn't long ago, I think it was just a month ago that Mark said throw some ideas our way so i think this well now
0: that the idea is out there let's put it this way you know that the uh the the right wing is is frantically at the moment you know studying why this thing should go south
1: how bad it will be and how it'll raise property taxes yeah and take your guns away yeah or encourage uh you know predators and god knows what that's right (laughs) the most off-the-wall outrageous scary things yeah there's gonna be clouds of toxic gas arbitration (laughs) will, will destroy america so Socialism. Bands of rabid dogs roaming
0: through the city. <laughs> so Dale, you are a, a renaissance man um, because um, I, I know we've had millions of conversations about books and, and movies and TV, and I know Ed
1: loves to talk to you about that. Absolutely, Ed, you, got, you got a question for Dale? Yeah, I mean Dale's got a famously, you know, great taste in music, and uh, so I was just curious, Dale. A good question. I love to ask people is uh, if you could see any band, living or dead? I mean uh living obviously but if you could see any band living or dead what uh who would it be
2: i'd like to go back to see the uh grateful dead in the 1970s and 80s really how, now how many times did you see the grateful dead it's i'm not like many of these folks who follow them around and have seen them 200 times i can only count up about maybe 20 times wow only, only 20 only, only. 20 <laughs> times but clearly the 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 band i've seen the most often and i've got the the pictures in my office of the very first concert I saw, which was 50 years ago, last summer. It was 1972 that I saw them at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. And I tell people who are familiar with the Grateful Dead that this is a very unusual picture because Jerry Garcia has no beard. He almost always had a beard. And he's relatively thin. Wow. So he's always kind of
0: a husky. Sure. Yeah. So, um, but that, yeah, didn't, that's didn't, my band. Didn't you have KISS come play at your university? Indeed. And when I was <laughs> at Northern Illinois University
2: in the in the um uh, early seventies, uh we had something called Springfest. Sure. Where you know the the student government would fund various activities just as kind of a okay, spring is finally here sort of thing. Yeah. And so they they the concert committee at NIU uh identified a band called the New York Dolls. Absolutely and and had actually contracted with the Dials to come to NIU to be in the um, ballroom, right? Which was only about a, a thousand seat venue, and sometimes they wouldn't even put seats in it. You would just it would just be yeah, you know, you're standing are. there. And the, and the stage is only about like this tall, like right? as tall as table, right? right? So you know we're in there. There's a couple of backup bands. We're waiting, 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 and the New York Dials never show up. And then around. 11:30 it's like okay we've got a we've got a substitute band for you and here they come and and by this time there's like maybe 200 people left
1: have stuck around right yeah
2: and so i walk up to the stage and i'm so i'm this far away and out come these four guys, and they've got these wild outfits, and they got these huge platform shoes, and they got this thing that comes down and says "Kiss." And I'm like, "Who are these guys?" And they like they just blow you away with the with the classic Kiss kind of yeah. intro, and they're all the crazy facial expressions and sticking out the tongue and all this yeah. other
1: stuff and for two hundred like, people. For two hundred. Wow. People,
2: it, was, it was totally nuts. It was totally nuts. That's but, super cool. But while you were at it, you know, I have something for you guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Dale has
0: left the microphone. This is this mobile. mobile. This is what you want when you're interviewing somebody on the radio. You want them to get up and walk <laughs> away from the microphone. <laughs> He's <laughs> coming back. It's going to be right good. Right All right. Here we go. All right. Sorry to like uh, lose yeah, it here, but, it,
2: but okay. I thought that you guys might enjoy this. Are you familiar with this story um, right here? He's
1: handing us issues of Rose, Rolling Stone magazine. Search for the lost... GNR Masterpiece?
2: Guns N' Roses Masterpiece. Have okay. you heard of this story?
1: No. This is, it's it's amazing. It was
2: like that one flop album that they did in 2008. Oh, like, yeah. There's outtakes. The comeback, the big
1: comeback album. Yeah, there's,
2: there's outtakes, and there's at least one or two songs that they say that G&R fans are like, this is the, the lost masterpiece, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a
1: pretty cool story, actually. Okay. Wow. Cool. I'll look forward to it. I know Ken's a big Guns and Roses fan. You know, my son's middle name is Axel. That's right. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> is, and I'm not, I'm not making that up. No Just higher
2: tribute than that. Well, and your son was born, like, a couple months before we started That's our right. legal department That's right. in
0: 2002. I think he was what, yeah. 2001 kid. Yeah. Uh, he was 2002 kid, but early 2002, so right around the same time. Mm-hmm. And he has, you know, been on a million picket lines and <laughs> yeah. to union meetings and watched, you know, Jim Sweeney's very first meeting as a uh, business manager been there me. with the rat the whole yeah, nine yards the whole thing he's gr- grown up in the labor movement
1: he's a very nice. cool kid who's got a lot more street cred than uh, his friends might realize yeah, he's like uh, he's got a cool dad <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. i well, thought listen, ken, i thought ken was his dad oh <laughs> i don't know he looks nothing like me and <laughs> a tall skinny male man
0: <laughs> not true not true he looks exactly like me although he'll deny it till the death listen um Dale, thank thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Um, You've been listening to Dale Pearson, um, Ken Edwards, Ed Maher. Uh, We are here on The Worker's Mic on 720 WGN. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Worker's Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Workers Mike right here on 720 WGN on Sunday morning. I'm Ed Maher. Sitting beside me here is Ken Edwards. And uh, if you were listening in, we spent a couple segments talking to Dale Pearson, the General Counsel of the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Uh, and I, I, I gotta thank Dale for spending a little extra time with us. He's great. Yeah, it was a blast. I like I like hearing Dale's stories. Yeah, Dale's as knowledgeable as they come, uh, aggressive, and uh, also just a really cool guy. About the the story about. Uh you know about kiss i thought that was so cool I, yeah i knew that story
0: also funny that he would see a band for the 21st time again
1: yeah i mean <laughs> you've got Jimi hendrix you've got led zeppelin you've got all these bands uh okay. that you, nobody could see but he's going back for the 21st spin around uh <laughs> grateful dead so i must be missing out on something i'm not a deadhead Oof. no uh, i'd rather watch paint dry to be blunt with you ouch speaking of paint Oh, okay. I like that. That was a ri- that that's what we call a transition. Yeah. everybody out yep. there uh-huh. Um, so one thing we wanted to talk about, something that's going on in Chicago right now. Ah, uh, the employees at the Field Museum have started a drive. Ah, uh, they're they've turned in recognition cards, and they're being called the Field Museum Workers United. But they are they're working to form a union right here in Chicago.
0: And and don't there's a couple of
1: museums that are doing the same, correct? The right. The the Art Institute mm-hmm. um, formed a union. The the school at the Art Institute formed a union, and then the Newberry Li- Library also. That's amazing.
0: So you it's not like a place
1: that you would normally think would be unionized, right? Right. Uh, it's a museum, right? But I mean, in there you've got your customer service people, your visitor service people, um, but you've also got research scientists. You have uh, folks who restore artifacts. I mean, there's there are a lot of different people, so. You know, the working conditions, the working hours for um, for all those workers, are, are, they just run the gamut of everything. And so,
0: you know, so this goes back to the point of that. I think we started when we first started the show, which is, look, you know, you may think that working for Google or working for the Art Institute or, or whatever it is, you know, some white collar professional job is great. You don't need a union because everything's hunky dory. Well, right. Well, it ain't. No, no, absolutely it, it, not. It, it's just not
1: right. You could be uh, what you say earlier, like, you know, you talk to a tech f- tech person. Yeah, there was somebody that used to work for Twitter who said, you know, compensation can't always fix the fact that your insurance sucks. Right. So, or, or that you're going to get laid off without any say in it whatsoever. Yeah, a union contract isn't just to go from substandard wages to decent wages. It's about protections. So you it's would about think like that these, these field... Uh, museum folks would have some pretty good leverage
0: because they're carrying like artifacts that are probably worth like bazillions of dollars like oops
1: it would be it a shame broke. if something were to happen to those artifacts <laughs> did that vase from the 14th <laughs> century break I'm sorry yeah do we have another or we do not have another one although oh,
0: that, that was the only one that existed yeah in the what, world what a pity anyway. yeah anyway you should give us our contract
1: yeah <laughs> Well, well, we're so, not advocating that. No, God, no. no j- absolutely just a not. joke. Yes, that is a joke. A little lighthearted humor here on Sunday morning. Yeah, that, uh. But in the, in the vein of, um, of industries that are organizing, I mean, we've talked about this a number of times in the past few weeks, um, with last week it was exotic dancers, but yeah. this week, uh, we saw some news that Microsoft, um, has recognized. Yeah, the first union, um, I think it's a, a gaming. It's a gaming company that
0: Microsoft owns, and Microsoft took a position that if these employees wanted to form a union, they would not get in the way. Right, they and that's called neutrality. On, it's called neutrality. So they, I believe, I'm not sure if they either entered into an actual neutrality agreement with the uh, CWA, which is Communication Workers of America, or they just simply stood out of the way. But either way, they didn't bust the union. They didn't put on uh, an anti union campaign, um, which includes captive audience meetings, which we'll talk about in a second, mm-hmm. but they simply said, hey, our employees want a union, Right? more power to them, we will sit down with them, we'll negotiate with them in good faith, and we welcome the CWA. And you know that these folks, you know, much like what 1220 did of the IBW with Intelligentsia, they're going to get a contract pretty quickly, right? Right. and I bet it's going to be good, and that will help the rest of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. What they're doing is important. So kudos to Bill Gates, and who else? Who, who's the Microsoft people? I don't know. And it's like Bill Gates. More and some other guy whatever but
1: you know what, what congratulations gates, to the other guy also yeah then.
0: What, what bill gates said was i'm gonna shave a foot off my yacht and i'm gonna give you guys a
1: contract one,
0: yeah. f- one foot off his yacht
1: let's hear it yeah that's for bill gates <laughs> a thundering round of applause <laughs> So, we
0: talked about, uh, uh, you know, as we're talking about this, Union Buster, right, one of the things that we are going to be focusing on um, is what's called captive audience meetings. So, Mm -hmm. stay tuned for some discussion about that over the next couple of weeks because – um, a captive audience meeting. For those of you that don't know, what happens is uh, the employer that is trying to bust a union will bring in a union buster or lawyers, et cetera, and they will force you to sit in their lunchroom um, on work time because they're paying you to listen to them tell you why you don't need a union. And when I say employers, I'm talking about you know progressive, you know this no evil food company. If you look them up and look what happened there, Google it. It's just a, it's absolutely abhorrent. So. Uh, they'll force you to sit sit there and listen to them tell you why you shouldn't join the union. Right. I firmly it's getting believe, an unfair advantage, really. Oh my god, does it ever? The union right?
1: doesn't have an opportunity to
0: do something, right? Because like the that. union guys are standing outside of the gate, you know, going yeah. like, "Hey, everybody, let's meet." Uh, right. you know, afterwards, they have you eight hours a day, and they're just pounding you with nonstop anti union rhetoric, literature, sometimes flat Nonsense. out lies, right. uh, you know, BS. And I think that. The employees themselves have a First Amendment right not to listen to it. I think they have a First Amendment right not to to say, I don't want to hear it, because if union speech is political speech, which is what some of the case law has said now, then how come employer speech about unions is not political speech as well? You can't force me to listen to that. Uh, the NLRB right now, the National Labor Relations Board, is looking at that,
1: mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, they're the the general counsel. Her name is Jennifer Abruzzo, but she's come in and she's taken a look at a lot of um, things that have gone against workers over the last several years, and looking to change them. So the captive audience meeting might be one of the first things on the chopping block, and I think that's welcome news to everybody who's trying to form a union, who has been through it, and you know, who supports these workers. So looking yeah, forward to reporting more on that. And when? And by the way. Listen
0: to what it's called. It's called Captive
1: Audience <laughs> Meetings. Like, Captives, it, right? like prisoners, like, like, like they can't shut, leave. Like,
0: like they shut the door behind you. Now, now you can't leave.
1: <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, it's a Bronx tale. Oh, yeah. Great movie. One. Really good movie. Nothing
0: to do with labor, by the way. But no, just watch really, it anyway. Yeah, watch it anyway. That's our movie pick of the week. Movie pick of the
1: week. A Bronx tale. Uh, now you collo- can't leave. Now, collo- collo- now oh, what? It's a kid's name. See? Collo- <laughs> now you can't leave. Yeah. Listen. Um. I
0: just want to thank uh, Dale today. Uh, thanks, everybody. You have been listening to The Worker's Mic right here on 720 WGN. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. The preceding episode of The Worker's Mike was powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by
1: Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. For additional information and podcasts of The Worker's Mic, visit WGNradio.com.